From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben, and you're you, the most important part of this show, which is, of course, stuff they don't want you to know. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is your first time listening, thank you so much for dropping by. Uh, we we hope that you come by later, too. Ben, I have to clear the air here. You did all of your intro with your eyes covered. But like and, like with, forcefully. With sort of a pained expression on your face. What was that about? I'm 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 good. Are my eyes like back to regular? Almost. Okay. Oh, do they do that flippy thing where <laughs> they go where they just go black? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Are you doing the reptilian stuff in the studio? I yeah. asked you not to do that, Ben. We got pretty deep into that reptilian uh, episode. We got a lot of uh, a lot of really interesting listener mail. Well, it came to a point where we were all just thinking with a hive mind. Mm-hmm. 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 And I wonder if we should – if we were on the fence about whether we should have cut the part where for like 17 minutes we spoke in unison. Yeah. I wonder if – did you notice that? I just didn't know what language it was. But today we are not talking about lizard people. Today we are talking about uh, something something completely different as they used to say perhaps on Monty Python. We are talking about what is popularly known in the US as the Vietnam War. Um, If you are someone who is – uh, Matt or Noel or I's age, then you likely have relatives if you're in the U.S. who have been involved in that conflict. And if not, then you've at least seen Platoon. Right. Yes, or any of the pieces of popular media that have come out since the 1970s. Sure. Rambo, First Blood, Apocalypse Now, which is my personal favorite. Forrest Gump even. Forrest Gump even, yes. And this um, – <clears throat> so the the Vietnam War, what, what – the U.S. usually refers to it as is the American incursion with the idea of preventing uh, the rise of communism in Southeast Asia. That was the official advertisement on the tin when it was sold to the American public. Uh, this later uh, – this, this later expanded past Vietnam into Cambodia and Laos. This this war has had a lasting and um, a, a, a lasting and profound effect both on the people of the U.S. and the people of Vietnam, as well as arguably the people of uh, Russia mm-hmm. or the Soviet Union at the time, because it ended up being a giant proxy war. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And the Vietnam War, as we consider it, began in 1955. Direct U.S. involvement officially ended with the signing of a treaty called the Agreement on Ending the War and Restoring Peace in Vietnam. A little on the nose, isn't it? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a little on the nose. I guess they had to spell it out, you know. That's fair. Hmm. Uh, and that was on January 27, 1973. Uh, this document is most often known as the Paris Peace Accords. The war itself didn't end until 75 with the fall of Saigon. But what what did this agreement do? 
Well, the agreement itself actually resulted in the release of 591 American prisoners of war, uh, of whom 566 were military and 25 were civilians. Um, in addition to that, it established a framework for uh, cooperation in resolving the POW MIA related questions. So prisoners of war and missing in action. And there were there were quite a few questions about that. So yeah, and because of this, from February 1973 to April 1973, Uncle Sam conducted what was called Operation Homecoming. And this returned prisoners of war to the United States. It rescued 591 in total. So as of 2016, around 1,621 Americans are still officially considered missing or unaccounted for for some reason or another during this Vietnam conflict, the Vietnam War or whatever else it was called at the time. And this may be a point where uh, many, many of us uh, listening in the audience may be saying, wait, you guys just sort of glossed over the Vietnam War. All of a sudden it's ended. This is not – Exactly about the Vietnam War or the, the conflict in Southeast Asia because the U.S. has identified 296 individuals as last known alive cases in all of Southeast Asia. And following full investigations uh, by March of 2012, the Defense Department confirmed the wartime death of 245 of these individuals to their – um, to their official standards because this, friends, is the official narrative. However, in the decades since the withdrawal of U.S. troops, numerous former military officials, government officials and members of the public believe that this country, the United States of America, left service members behind in Vietnam, in Cambodia and in Laos. And Cambodia and Laos are particularly sticky subjects as uh, in many, many cases, the U.S. was not supposed to be a there and they were officially um, whoosh, whoosh, not there. And a lot of these people don't just believe that they were left behind, you know, as in, oh, oops, we left a bunch of our servicemen behind. No, they think it was done on purpose. And that the U.S. government has not only not been looking for these missing soldiers, but actively obstructing any searches and covering up the entire affair for the last 40 odd years. Right, almost half a century. Mm -hmm. Double right. yikes. Double yikes. Why would, why would people think that? This is an extraordinarily common belief here in the U.S. And, and uh, we don't know – this is a very U.S.-specific topic, right? Uh, so we, we're not sure you know, how Australian listeners feel about this or European listeners or listeners in uh, China or – Vietnam in specific, uh, around the world. So do write in and let us know if you have heard of this before, which is considered a, a miscarriage of justice by some and an out-and-out -out conspiracy theory by others. So why on earth would the government do something like that? Let's look at sort of the evolution of this. Suspicions about remaining servicemen start almost immediately after the signing of the Paris Peace Accords. Uh, with we're, we're just going to call him that because, as you pointed out, that name is a it's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, no, I like the Paris Peace Accord. That's got a nice ring to it. The yeah. other one is just like, ah, who's TLDR? Who's got right. time to say are, all that? Are we going to save some money on paper, guys? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is 1973. Okay, right. You're right. You're <laughs> That's right. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> things were very tacky back then. Yeah. Well, there were longer names, is what I'm saying for things. Tacky. Yeah. <laughs> 
yes, all it is it is true. This is a related point uh, for anybody who was not alive in 1973. All names were actually longer. Every single one. The United States of America was actually. Uh, the United States of cooperative municipalities with the intention to act in concert of America, comma, named after Amerigo Vespucci. The movie. Yes. The yeah. ride. <laughs> Dot com. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's actually where the internet comes from is that, that name. Facts, ladies and gentlemen. These are facts. Uh, Alternative facts. <laughs> Perhaps we're uh, – perhaps if this sounds crazy or this is the first time you're hearing it, uh, we invite you to check out our earlier podcast on the Mandela effect. So President Nixon at the end of this, he states that all the POWs have been returned and at the time, the US listed 2,646 Americans as unaccounted for, including about – 1,350 prisoners of war are missing in action and roughly 1,200 reported killed in action but the body not recovered, which is, you know, in all seriousness, a, a profound tragedy, you know, because what happens to the closure for those families? I would think not incredibly uncommon though. Maybe that's a high number but, you know, you're in a war situation where bodies can be completely obliterated by, you know, explosions where you're mm -hmm. not going to have any remains. Yeah, but without – it's too difficult to retrieve mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Without any commanding officer even knowing a general location. Oh, absolutely. Or, you know, a general fate. That's, that's, that's uncommon. I mean, war is one of the most brutal inventions of our society. And, you know, okay, arguably – Humans didn't invent it because it has been documented that other primates have large-scale uh, conflicts or at least tribal-level conflicts. But humans have taken it to an insidious uh, art form and you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's odd to have such precise numbers and for people who are not familiar with this, the Vietnam War – from the U.S. I had some of the best documentation for war of its kind. So we are able to know more of these numbers than we would know, for instance, in World War II, right? Mm -hmm. But Noel is absolutely right. People disappear in war, you know? And that's the, that's the question. So there's this, there's this one thing that, that is kind of a, a spark point. It's the turn back now or, or you know, delve into the murky stuff that occurs when there's a very low number of POWs returned from Laos. And this causes immediate concern because the Pentagon in secret meetings, right, not really revealed to the public, uh, thought there would be as many as 40 or 41 prisoners held there. Um, only a few have been known to be captured for certain and a tiny, like a negligible amount of people came back like three or something. And the responsibility for finding these missing soldiers fell to you're gonna you're gonna like this one, uh, fell to the Defense Prisoner of War slash missing personnel office and the joint POW MIA accounting command. Can we at least make it a sexy acronym? I know, right? Well you will be happy to know, Noel, that in twenty fifteen the National Defense Authorization Act combined those two agencies into one oh, single thank agency. God. And I, along with one other thing, uh, but yeah. 
just so tacked it on there, know. tacked mm-hmm. it onto the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the ride, the movie.com. Yep. So then in the 1970s and 80s, the, the relatives, the family and friends of all of these missing personnel started getting agitated because as you do, uh, they started becoming politically active and they start requesting that the United States reveal what steps they were taking, what steps they took and are continuing to take uh, to follow up on their missing relatives and their loved ones. Like what kind of intelligence do you have with regards to these missing in action soldiers? Right. They started demanding accountability and regardless of what you personally believe in terms of politics or the role of government and state versus federal, local, what have you, uh, accountability should be key in any of these things. And accountability goes both ways. You know what I mean? To the citizen as well as to the institutions. So this this is a good move. And this is this move is saying initially saying just well tell us what you're doing. You yes. know what I mean? Shed some light on this process. Because these people could very well be alive. In some cases, they just know when they were last seen alive and it was years ago, right? Yeah. Or, or it was months ago. Uh, so this is almost a black box for these relatives and these loved ones. So initial inquiries revealed that important information had not been pursued and so many families and their supporters asked for the public release of these records and called for full investigation. So when we say important information had not been pursued, we're saying stuff like um, an intelligence agency intercepts a radio transmission from Thailand that details they uh, uh, that details they've cited um, a work camp, you know, with like 11 people who are clearly not Vietnamese, Cambodian or Laotian and that they're being held after the war or something. But then the intelligence agency on the US side would say, well, that's Thailand. You know what I mean? We're going to trust this foreign intercept or whatever. Or you just sit on it because it's not – it doesn't seem like it's pertinent to any major investigation you're doing right then. Right. And then also, you know, there's a fair question like – how do you discern the bologna from the – what's a better meat than bologna? Chorizo. Chorizo? You know, a good Genoa salami. Yeah, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you separate the bologna from the chorizo and good Genoa salami? It's tough. It's tough in the intelligence community. Yeah, and you can't send people out to investigate every single one. It's just not possible. I mean, you can you can try your hardest, but it is a um, part of my French here. It is a it can sometimes be a no win situation. Well, it's like you get bogged down in this this idea that bureaucracy is inherently inefficient and massive, and you know, and a pain. And then you realize that the only reason it exists is to manage the massive and inefficient and painful. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you can't really fault it every time for not being able to be everything to everybody all the time. Right. And and on that perspective too, it might be a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because like think about it. So if okay, everybody listening, let's say all of us are the CIA yeah. in yeah. the 70s and 80s. Congratulations, we're sorry you had to find out this way. So, uh one of us gets one of us or one group of us gets a report that says, all right, a foreign uh, radio intercept has said that – has identified 
you know, a dozen people mm -hmm. in a remote area being working in forced agriculture. Then the question becomes, as as we already being a large organization, say like, okay, well, if we don't investigate this, then there is a risk that we will have we will have screwed up. But if we do investigate this and we don't find anything, then we will be roasted over the coals for, you know, frivolous government spending or yeah. something. Yeah. Or since, you know, listeners, you and Matt and Noel and I are now part of this fictional CIA, or um, another thing is if we delve into this, is it going to interfere with other active operations that we have in the area? Yeah. Well, and here, here's the craziest part. This idea that the government isn't doing everything it can do to get the loved ones of these people back, that is a polarizing concept. And that if you latch on to that, let's say as a politician in the public sector, mm -hmm. then you're, you're going to get some votes from a good number of people. If you're championing this idea that the government is not doing everything it can do. Or even like a faction of the government because of certain leanings maybe even. You can kind of characterize it as a political issue rather mm -hmm. than just a matter of unmanageable situations, you know? Yeah. Well, and it doesn't even matter if you uh, – the person running truly believes it, right? Yeah, unfortunately. I mean that's the rule with a lot of political stuff, you know. And and this is this is an issue that um this is an issue that politicians have investigated or advocated on any political strike. Ross Perot was very big into um trying to discover the truth behind this and did believe that there were people left behind and abandoned. Uh John Kerry, John McCain, George H.W. Bush, like it it goes across the spectrum. And George H.W. Bush was CIA, yes. or at least for a time. Yes. And I don't know, is anybody – do you ever become not CIA? We've had this discussion before. I think you're right. It, you are always like – at least in the club. I feel like you have to be. You've got information if you've been in the CIA that we we can't let you into the wrong hands. It's like being the president. Even when you're the president, you're referred to as – they don't really call you the former president, do they? They, they call you the president. Mr. Mr. President. Yeah. Yeah. People don't call you Jimmy anymore. People Something don't happens you. to you. So you're, 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 you become someone else entirely and your mind is not your own. It's true, man. And have you seen those before and after pictures of every president since the invention of photography? Yeah. It's – oof. Eesh. It will wear you down. Especially the black and white ones where the bags under the eyes are so incredibly <laughs> <Right>. pronounced. <laughs> it's just like pools. It's crazy, man. Well, um, while we're on this subject, we do have to examine this because this didn't just stop in the in the 70s. This didn't just stop um, like with a hard stop and, and, and a couple of investigations. This were on and on and on and there are tantalizing hints to different parts of this story, and we're going to give you a few after a word from our sponsors. Let's begin looking at a few examples here. Uh, the first one comes from 1979, a gentleman uh, whose name is Bobby Garwood, Private Bobby Garwood. He returned to the United States in 79 after 14 years living as a prisoner of war. 
Now he, he says. He, yeah, he says. He claims that he was one of many soldiers still being held in Vietnam and several other uh, countries in the adjacent area. Uh, like you said, Ben, Laos, mm-hmm. uh, several others. Um, so the United States denied these allegations. And furthermore, they claimed that Garwood was actually a collaborator. He was in on the whole thing. He wasn't a prisoner. That he went over the hills and turned coat. Right. He was reportedly released in 1973 with some other American POWs, but he did not return to the United States until March 22nd, 1979. Hmm. Uh, During that time, he was listed as either having volunteered or been forced into a work group uh, repairing a generator uh, at a re-education camp. Other reports described him as working in an island fortress or being a driver and vehicle mechanic. Whoa. When he gets back in 79, over a period of 11 months, he faces a general court-martial at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, because other Marines testified, like other, not just Marines, but other service members testified seeing him in action with VC, with Viet Cong. Uh, so he, uh, he was found not guilty of desertion or solicitation of U.S. troops in the field to defect uh, or maltreatment, uh, he was convicted in 1981 of communicating with the enemy and the assault of an American POW at a camp. Uh, and that violates the uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice. He was – the court-martial sentenced him to reduction to a private, forfeiture of all pay and allowances, dishonorable discharge. But he was not confined. He appealed. His conviction was upheld. Robert Garwood – says that he saw other American POWs after 1973 and he insists that he himself had been prisoner for 14 years. Um, many of the POWs who claim to have seen him collaborate with the enemy also feel he should not have been court-martialed because that's the thing. You know, if, if he is – if he was imprisoned, which is a story that the American public will probably never know in full, if he was imprisoned, was he forced to cooperate? Or did he choose to? You know, it, it gets it gets sticky. So, uh, so according to this guy, and according to the people who believe that there were purposefully abandoned POWs or service members uh, in in country after seventy three, this guy is being silenced because he's telling the truth. But to other people, to critics of that belief, he is trying to cover his own, you know, cover his own hindquarters, yeah. which at, at, at this point you can, you can easily go down a rabbit hole of who said what and what happened where, but the, the facts remain he was not convicted of collaborating with the enemy. Then we have an investigation led by John Kerry in 1991. Senator Kerry um, was the head of a select committee investigation into the intelligence services process um, searching for remaining POWs in Vietnam. There were two former defense secretaries, Melvin Laird and James Schlesinger, who said the Nixon administration most definitely knew that there were still POWs in Vietnam after the close of Operation Homecoming. The investigation also revealed that thousands of files from the NSA on missing soldiers, uh, which were written during the war, were completely ignored by intelligence services after the war. 
Um, and then after two years, the Kerry committee came to the conclusion that there was no compelling evidence that any American soldiers were still being held, um, not just in Vietnam, but in any Southeast Asian countries. Felt that this was definitively the case. Mm. Um, and then a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Sidney Schonberg, accused the committee of assisting in a government cover-up. Uh, and I mean, if you're going to have a government cover-up, what better smokescreen for it than a, you know, tireless investigation that supposedly puts all of these concerns to bed? Just like JFK assassination, just like uh, the 9-11 commission. We got to wave something around for the public to latch on to and say, oh, no, no, it's fine. See? 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 Look at all this paper. Mm. These are very long names. Yeah, I know that sounds flippant, but for people who were opponents of that investigation or thought it was a cover-up, this was – it was exactly the same kind of tactic, right? And it's very important to say that what we're doing is exploring the differing views of this side. We're not casting aspersion on any service member or any government official. We're just telling you where these people stand and what they say and where they disagree. And the people who said like that this was a cover-up, these were not fringe members of society. You know, as Noel said, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, this became an increasingly common belief. It was a very unpopular war. Uh, people were at people were at odds on all sorts of levels. And distrust of the government was very high. So of course it seems like something that would happen, you know, and the, the one of the big questions would be, well, what is the the motivation? And so when the official narrative came uh came down and you know veterans like John Kerry, veteran, right? Mm-hmm. John McCain, veterans, these these um former military members who were serving in federal government came back and said, you know, we gave it our best shot and we tried to figure out what was going on and this is what we found. Even then, people wouldn't believe the whole story. They felt like this was all smoke and mirrors and this got another – I guess another dose of high-octane conspiratorial fuel just uh, like during the the investigation in 1992. The belief that there were abandoned soldiers or remaining POWs got a new burst of high-octane conspiratorial fuel at a summit. June 15th, 1992, Boris Yeltsin was talking to NBC News uh, and this was reported by the New York Times and apparently he said that some Americans captured during the Vietnam War were apparently transferred from Hanoi to labor camps in the Soviet Union and he added that some of them may still be alive at that time, possibly in psychiatric hospitals Ladies and gentlemen, we have a uh, a clip from that conversation. Yes, NBC, what do you want? Yes, Mr. Yeltsin, for years there have been rumors in the United States that American POWs from the Vietnam War were transferred from Vietnam to the Soviet Union. Do you know that to be true? Uh, our archives have shown that it is true. Some of them were transferred to the territory of the former USSR. Uh, some were kept in labor camps. Uh, we don't have complete data, and we can only surmise that some may still be alive. That is a bomb drop, right, in the, in the American public, uh, in the heart of the American consciousness, which uh, that 
anatomy metaphor doesn't check out. So don't think about it too much. Uh, <laughs> but we do want to say. <laughs> well, to have to have a diplomat like that, or uh, at the time was he prime minister? Uh, he was... A high level foreign official. Yeah. Right? To have have a say, this was during Glasnost, so kind of a peace offering too. Um, I do want to want everybody out there listening <laughs> to know that we had a very in-depth conversation <laughs> about who should do the exit. <laughs> That's I why I was trying not to crack up. But um, you you guys would make great reenactors, you know? You know, maybe maybe we should get into reenactments. Renfest? Oh man. Our boy Johnny Strick has the in. <laughs> Johnny Danger Strick. So yes, uh, who would these soldiers have been? This is a strange thing, and I followed up offline with some military sources to ask about this. And people who would ask not to be identified on the show. So the people I spoke with believe that the U.S. probably did leave some people behind, but not not on purpose, like not as a institutional thing. Like you don't get elected president and then someone gives you an envelope and says, never ask about these missing 600 people or something. What they said happened is that anybody taken to the USSR who was captured would have to be a high-value intelligence agent of some sort. So maybe a company man from the CIA, maybe military naval intelligence because otherwise what what would be the use of that expensive and dangerous transport, you know? And they would probably take them by boat instead of by plane because if a boat goes down, there's a lot less evidence than if a plane goes down. I can imagine it being a an implanted agent maybe even so specifically was captured to be taken there if possible i know that sounds insane mm-hmm. it sounds like something that would never happen but i can imagine it being like uh something that happens uh, a setup turncoat uh, of some way in some uh, way see, or you yeah. know what i mean like a double agent yeah and it's it's tough to know it's tough to know where someone's real allegiances lie or if they have real allegiances. Is that a double double cross? I was many, trying to how make how many it crosses are being doubled there. Yeah, is it quadruple cross? I don't know. Triple cross? No, that's only a three. quadruple cross. I guess it just depends on when you want to stop or when they stop believing. You could you. theoretically go on crossing indefinitely. It'd just be like the most dis uh, the most untrustworthy person. <laughs> that it can only last four times, right? I think, I think eventually yeah. they're just going to get tired of it, um, which would be very dangerous. But, and you know, a lot of times these people, if so, we know it's probably a small percentage of the mm-hmm. missing people, but of that small percentage that went there, um, their lives very well could have been a living hell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially if they possess secrets that exist only in their in their minds. Uh, the private secrets of one of the world's great superpowers. It's a very dangerous collection of thoughts to have ownership over. And because of questions like this, right, because Boris Yeltsin admits that there were people spirited away, uh, because there are continual or there are numerous radio intercepts saying, oh, we've seen people living or there are people in country who say, oh, I've seen this guy's not Vietnamese. Why is he living in this cave, you know, with these ripped up clothes? And also to a degree in cultural consciousness because of, you know, the stories of World War II survivors, especially in the Japanese army who 
were living as though the war had never ended and in some cases didn't know it had. Uh, because of all these cases, it seems not impossible that there could have been people left behind, whether purposely or accidentally or whether it's beyond anyone's control. But several of the privately funded expeditions by veterans, loved ones, survivors, um, several of those expeditions got dogged by accusations of fraud. People would say, well, the government being this big inefficient bureaucracy is not going to be able to effectively do this or they don't care because what is one human life in the great abattoir of geopolitics? So with the best of intentions, people got together and said, we are going to go find this and we're going to search either for following up on evidence of living people or following up on evidence of remains. And not in all cases, but in many cases, you would see stories of someone accepting a bunch of money, buying a boat, and the boat never left the dock in Thailand. Yeah. And they were beguiling people. They were conning them with the worst thing. It, it reminds me of our conversation we had had before about people who claim to contact the dead on behalf of the living. You know, are they – are they just exploiting people? Sometimes. Or do they really believe it? No, this is not to say, ladies and gentlemen, that these missions were not genuine. Many were and there are people who claim that they that they found evidence of, of recent uh, survivors. But just for perspective, let's talk about a, a fairly recent hoax. That's right. The John Hartley hoax. Um, in 2013, a documentary portrayed a man claiming to be the missing assumed dead soldier by the name of John Hartley Robertson. Um, and in the film, this person met with surviving family members and convinced them he was their relative. Later, DNA tests revealed that this was not the case. And so this points to an issue that potentially could have come from a lot of these things that we're talking about is folks bilking relatives, supposed long-lost yeah. relatives, whether out of money or support in some way. Uh, and nowadays with you know crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, that's a lot easier to do than it used to be and it's mm -hmm. also a lot easier to find potential marks um, for this type of activity. If you want to know more about that documentary, uh, specifically about John Hartley, uh, it is called Unclaimed. It's pretty great. I remember seeing a tra trailer for it not long ago and getting interested in it. It's, I think, 2014 when I saw it. Um, 2013 is when it came out. I, I would recommend it. It's a fascinating, intriguing story that looks at what happens when family members are given this chance to reconnect with someone who they think is a long-lost loved one, but then it turns out to be a nightmare. Yeah, and it's one of those things too where put yourself in the position of a family member like that where someone who has for all intents and purposes been dead to you for years, you're given what you see as a second chance. Yeah. I mean who among us wouldn't maybe be a little blindsided by that to 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 the point where maybe you might not have your wits about you. It's a pretty horrible thing to take advantage of someone's um, vulnerability mm -hmm. like that. Well, guys, I think one thing that plays in just about all of this discussion is the myriad ways that in a war zone situation, people can and 
will be ultimately left behind. There's a lot of conditions, a lot of variables at play. It's some scary stuff. Um, and I think we should talk about some of that stuff. But first, let's take a quick sponsor break. So, yes, no, you're right. One thing's for sure. A lot of people ended up missing. A lot of American soldiers ended up missing uh, during the Vietnam conflict, during the war. Um, and for a, ver- a variety of reasons, a whole bunch of reasons. So let's look at the most likely possibilities. One is that some men were killed. They're killed in action and then their bodies are either burned or disposed of somehow uh, by the enemy, by in this case the Viet Cong, and they will never be found ever, probably, unless you know a big excavation occurs uh, in the jungle somewhere. Buried in uh, unmarked graves, right? Yep. Buried, burned. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons. Guerrilla forces often wouldn't have the capability to transport a hostage or the desire. And this this is why death is a, a killed in action or KIA is the most prominent possibility, um, unfortunately. And even more unfortunately, we can't know how many of these people still missing are in fact, you know, expired or died in this way. Another possibility is that they deserted and there are very strange stories here. Um, Some returned to the United States under false pretenses or false identities. So the Matt Frederick who shipped off the war comes back with the new identity which is – what would your fake ID be? Oh, Enrique Iglesias Jr. (laughs) Enrique Iglesias Jr. I like is it subtle. I would just be Esteban. Esteban, it's nice with the uh, with the accent mark over it. No, oh, oh, there's a story to Esteban. Esteban, no, with a with an question mark. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> and I, of course, would be Max Powers, comma astronaut with a secret. There you go. <clears throat> That's you know blends in, but the some others escape to nearby countries like Australia, right, or, or a different neighboring country or went to Canada and some indeed found homes inside Vietnam. This means that there is a possibility, a very small possibility that some former soldiers living in Southeast Asia simply don't want to be found. And we have to consider how much time has passed now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so these people would be on the older end of the human spectrum. <clears throat> There's one example of how things kind of go off the rails in this and that's a uh, Vietnam era legend uh, that we learned about in the course of our research. It's a place called Seoul City. This room, this was rumored to be a district in suburban Saigon that was the domain of many uh, U.S. deserters, mainly African-American and that they became a drug a, a, a drug empire essentially. They were running heroin racketeering, weapons, prostitution, and it was an enclave. Officially, this has not been confirmed. So we we can't speak. I, I don't know about you guys, but I was not in Vietnam. So we can't speak to the veracity of that. If anyone listening uh, has firsthand experience or can confirm it, we would like to hear about not just that, but other enclaves if they were around. And also then, called Soul Alley, by the Soul way, if you're Alley. searching for it. Yes, yes. 
And there's and and also to what degree this stuff was true? Was it actually how big was it actually? If it existed, yeah. or was it just a couple of people who were entrepreneurs? And there's another. A lot of the reality here is unfortunate. When Saigon fell on April 30th, 1975, North Vietnamese forces swept through the country and through other cities like wildfire, and they did not take prisoners. Did they find deserters? Probably. Most likely. Were they friendly to those deserters? Probably not. Uh, so this would have ended some of those some of those um, communities, those you know, even more secret communities. And this leads us to our conclusion. The current U.S. position is that there were no purposefully abandoned soldiers and efforts to locate the remains of those who died in country continue with full international support today. So support from the Laotian, Cambodian and, Vietnam, and Vietnamese government. Now, there's something to consider here, guys, that we haven't – we kind of touched on but not really. What about the missions that only what? How many people would know at the top of the CIA if it was a secret mission? Like compartmentalized intelligence? Yeah. I mean a handful of sure. human beings would know if there are secret missions going on. And you can almost guarantee that this was occurring. During wartime, the CIA is going to be having special operations that nobody knows about. Mm -hmm. the, the black, what do you call it, black bag, black, uh, black, black ops. ops. And this doesn't have to just be um, – <clears throat> this doesn't just have to be the CIA's involvement. This could also be naval and military intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. Deep cover stuff or, or – deep incursions and also let's consider how many other popular conspiracy theories this is touching on which would be what if some of those missions involved drug trafficking yeah uh to finance something illegal that needed plausible deniability so we were also talking off air um knew a, a marine who now works in IT did not have experience in Vietnam, uh, but brought up a very interesting point that I had not considered there when I asked this Marine about the likelihood. I wanted to hear what service members thought of the likelihood of purposefully abandoned POWs or MIAs. And this Marine said that they totally believe it could happen. And that we should also look into the current assets of the U.S. military around the world estimated as of 2015 to be in 135 countries in some capacity who are all sort of unnamed assets, you know, uh, functioning in an NGO or in a uh, consular position who if, the, if their cover gets blown have to provide their own exit strategy. And Yikes. they do not, you know, they do not exist. Um, yeah, and would they? Would those people be counted in those numbers? Right. That's that's a crucial question. And then there's there's another question that we kind of talked uh, about uh, off air, which is sort of motivation, right? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I don't know. In all this, I've been wondering what you guys think would be the most compelling reason that the U.S. government would, A, purposefully leave their own troops behind and then, B, try to cover up. I mean, I guess the cover up is inherent in doing the bad thing. So maybe we can skip two. But why? What, to what end? But si- we're talking six separate presidential administrations. Okay, right. I mean, that's the very definition of a, of a conspiracy. Or it could just be deep state cover up. But Why? Matt. Yeah, what's the motivation? That's I could I could imagine a couple things. So in the short term, in the short game, if there's a desire for political leverage in post-war negotiations, then that could have occurred, but the Paris Peace Accords had explicitly contained a framework for resolving POW situations. Uh for the US side, then it's quite possible that there were things that would put that would make Uncle Sam's hands too dirty, and that they war crimes. Yeah, and that they cut they cut these people loose, or they just didn't look into it very deeply. And you know, we're talking a lot about we're talking a lot about very murky, very questionable things on both sides, especially if there are people who are alive, who are who were held. And, and rendered invisible to history. That's a very dangerous thing and it can happen more easily than people think. It's not just something that happened under the reign of Stalin. It can happen today to people. Um, and to and, – and honestly, for not just the black bag operative types uh, in, in the US Army but for anyone um, – who might have died or been captured or disappeared from the official narrative of history to these unnamed heroic women and men across the planet in every nation, we do hope you and your loved ones find peace because often these people are used as pawns. And are I you, think that could be a motivation. Are you guys familiar with the My Lai Massacre? Unfortunately, yes. yes. Yeah. I mean so there was actually a uh, – task force, I guess you could say, established the Vietnam War Crimes Working Group in the wake of uh, photographic evidence of what was thought to be a massacre of women and children. Uh, it's the kind of thing you see depicted in some of these films we were talking about, like in uh, Platoon. There's a sequence where some of this goes down and also in um, uh, Apocalypse Now, um, specifically in Platoon though. But anyhow, uh, you know, and the purpose of this group was to – investigate emerging claims of war crimes by U.S. military during Vietnam. And, you know, if there was a reason to perhaps let some people stay lost, maybe some folks saw some things and could have corroborated some things and had some attacks of conscience that would have maybe made Uncle Sam, as you said, Ben, have a little bit more blood on their hands than they wanted and politically – you know that could have been bad. It was a very unpopular war. We were there for a very, very long time, far longer than we intended to be, and we lost a lot of people. And you know it was just a very unpopular place to be. And you know there was a lot of cleanup that had to be done in order to kind of wash our hands of some of that. And mm-hmm. you know this kind of stuff, these kind of stories, not exactly helping with the uh, the PR narrative. Right. Right. Well said. And to Matt's point, you know, this doesn't have to be an entire government. This could be compartmentalized intelligence, deep state. You know, it's it's distressing, but at certain levels, 
in certain institutions, it only takes a few people to keep powerful secrets. It's so, true. so it's more again of um, a black box, and we could be in a situation where hundreds of thousands of people are doing their level best. Like the army has special branches that go out into that part of the world every year with full cooperation to find remains, and they find them. That's the thing; they're they're still finding bodies. But the question is, did somebody else obstruct it? If so, do, uh, do are presidents aware of it? Because um, the Barack Obama administration also uh, pressed for uh, further cooperation investigating into these MIA cases uh, during a during another summit. So within recent years, and at present, it seems some probably did die in combat. Some probably did desert. And some are probably living or have lived under assumed identity uh, under mm-hmm. assumed identities in uh, somewhere in the world. Many of those in that third group may have already died of natural causes, living an entirely different life from the one they left behind in the jungle. As for the prisoners, no matter how much we go back and forth, we may never know for sure. You can go and find a wealth of live sightings, a wealth of people insisting they've done this. But Bobby Garwood was a controversial returning figure, and uh, the the case that we mentioned earlier, uh, the Hartley hoax, it did turn out to be a hoax. The DNA didn't match. Um, have added fuel to both camps, the people who believe that there were abandoned POWs and the people who believe that there were not. And so we close our episode today. We want to hear from you. Uh, what is – what in your experience is plausible here? Is it, is it possible that the U.S. cut, oper- cut servicemen and oper- operators loose uh, to preserve what was seen as greater stability at the time? Is this – a conspiracy theory that people are milking for political gain. Um, and yes, we have not touched on any of the other Vietnam-related conspiracies, the legends of real life, Colonel Kurtz's a la Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now, the effects of Agent Orange and more. So write to us and let us know what we should cover. If you do want to write to us, you can find us on Facebook where we are Conspiracy Stuff or on Twitter also Conspiracy Stuff. You can find us on Instagram, Conspiracy Stuff Show. And if you don't like that stuff, you can always send us an email. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll tell you how to do that later. Yes, yes. First, it's time for Shout Out Corners. Our first shout out comes from Carlton. Carlton says, in your recent episode, you mentioned chi, and I have a quick and dirty way for pretty much anyone to feel it. Dirty, you say? Yeah, so mm. dirty. Thank you, Carlton. Uh, Carlton says, first, you should sit upright or stand. Okay, I'm going to do this as okay. I say it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right. With both feet pointed straight out forward at your shoulder's length. Okay. Second, you need to reach out your hands and palms facing towards each other. So palms facing each other, hands out. The elbow should be bent at about 45 degrees, so there's 90. Let's do 45. Now, your fingers should form a claw pointed to each other. Then you close your eyes, calm your breath, 
and slowly close the space in between your hands as if you're holding an imaginary apple-sized sphere. Now, if you're calm enough, you will feel that your fingertips already felt pressure, but not because of direct contact. If you reach this step, then you can move the entire palm back and forth to experience an odd feeling similar to the repellent force of two magnets. It almost sounds like you're starting a Kamehameha uh, or, you know, a fireball. Uh, Ken style. Yeah. Hadouken style. (laughs) That's really cool. It's interesting because it ties into the, the, one of the largely unacknowledged senses of the human body, proprioception. Yes. Right. The sense of, uh, where your limbs are in space when you're not looking at them. And I got up and tried it. I think I, I'm going to have to do it when I'm not shotgunning so much coffee. Yeah. And you know, we're recording a podcast, but thank you, Carlton. We have that now. Now you have that. You, the listener of this voice, and uh, let's all try it together sometime or at least separately and then come back and Yeah, let's try it. Write to us and let us know. Uh, Everybody give give Carlton's technique a shot and let us know how it works out for you. I'm going to try it some more later when we're off air. Our second shout out today comes from Andrew. Andrew says, hi, guys. I think that the I think the conspiracy that the Russian version of 9-11, the 1999 Russian apartment bombings was really a false flag operation orchestrated by and for Putin. That's Vladimir Putin to rise to power. And that would make for a really great podcast and a timely one, given all the talk about Russia and Putin these days. Anyhow, keep up the good work. That is Crazy, by the way. I didn't know anything about this until Andrew wrote to us. And I just did some quick searching on the subject to see what it was all about. I'd never heard of it. It's, I think, three separate cities that got bombed, like four apartment complexes or more, Mm -hmm. all around the same time. And it was all uh, blamed on certain groups. And it started groups. Yeah. And it started another Chechenian conflict. Mm. And apparently, it really. It really did help uh, rise Putin to power, or at least somewhat. Hmm. I yeah, we'll have to look into that. Finally, we have a shout out from Philippa. Philippa, um, uh, either either one of those, not either one of the two, probably. But I'm throwing them both out there just to cover my bases. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband isn't what you'd call psychic, but his gut feelings are a hundred percent correct. Well. That's what I would call psychic, Um, (laughs) but that's pretty cool. Uh, He also has an annoying habit of knowing what I'm going to say before I say it, even if it's totally off topic and he can predict who he'll see that day. Hmm. He works in a record shop and if he hasn't seen a regular customer for a while, he'll usually know before he starts work that they will come by that day. He also has a ghost who follows him around. What? Yeah, that's what it says here, a ghost who follows him around. And numerous people have seen weird stuff happen when they've been with him. Well, here's to keeping it keeping it interesting, keeping it fresh and weird in your relationship. Uh, it sounds like an interesting guy, and I would love to hear more uh, if anyone has clairvoyant partners out there, um, much more than just finishing each other's 
sandwiches, sandwiches. <laughs> then uh, we want to hear about that kind of stuff because I, I don't know anyone like that. I often um, think I know what my girlfriend's about to say and uh, and and stumble into trying to, to say it for her. And she usually just shoots me a dirty look uh, because I'm wrong and it's rude. Yeah. It, it turns into you trying to mansplain something. Exactly. Her, well, th- her own thoughts. I'm also interested to know, Philippa. Philippa, Philippa, I think. I'm I'm also interested to know if your husband predicted that this listener mail would be read out loud. Oh. I can imagine it right now. He wakes up. <gasps> Honey. <laughs> Turn on the podcast box. <laughs> I think the conspiracy boys are talking about you. Right now, this moment. That is not uh, what Philippa's husband sounds like. Uh, she yes. also – but she says she's from rural southwest England, by the way, and she says there was a wart charmer in her neighborhood. Yeah. In her town, a wart charmer That's who right. could charm the warts off you. Is that the same as charming the pants off you? It's the exact same thing. That's a pants charmer, I believe. Mm-hmm. Not to split hairs. <laughs> or, 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 or pants. Or warts. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this concludes our... And this concludes our episode today, but not, uh, hopefully, knock on wood, our show itself. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, what are we covering next week? Do we have a little bit of a teaser we could give people? Well, next week we're covering delicious, delicious, yet deadly, deadly sugar. Mm-mm-mm. Yes. Sick- more like... Uh, well, no, at first it's... Mm-mm-mm. So it's more like... Mm-mm-mm. Yes. It's sickly sweet. And uh, there is a conspiracy afoot, not a theory. Uh, If you would like to know more, please tune in. And in the meantime, go easy on the sodas, just in case. We don't want anyone to be listening in a hospital. That was a dark way to end it. All right. (laughs) So write to us. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com.